Welcome to the Tamarind Learning Podcast, where host Cindy Radu speaks with experts on many topics relevant to the ultra-high net worth family and family office. Cindy was author and co-author of numerous articles related to trusts, family enterprises, and estate planning and co-authored taxation and estate planning in Canada for many years. She also shares her expertise as a consultant, advisor, and educator to those in the family enterprise space. Cindy is the Chief Learning Officer of Tamarind Learning Canada, an online wealth education platform that develops practical, foundational learning programs for beneficiaries and their advisors to help them prepare for the responsible stewardship of wealth. Welcome to the Tamarind Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Radu, Chief Learning Officer for Tamarind Learning Canada. Tamarind Learning is an online wealth education platform that develops practical foundational learning programs for beneficiaries and their advisors to help them prepare for the responsible stewardship of wealth. As part of this platform, I have the privilege to speak with experts on topics relevant to families of wealth and family offices. In this episode, I am absolutely delighted to welcome our guest, Dr. Sherilyn Hale, President of Watermark Philanthropic Council. Sherilyn works with leading philanthropists, generous families, and social purpose organizations across Canada and the Caribbean. For me, it's actually very humbling to share some of Sherilyn's professional credentials. She holds undergraduate degrees in both theology and psychology, as well as a graduate degree in philanthropy and a doctor of education degree. In addition to her impressive degrees, Sherilyn holds the Master Financial Advisor Philanthropy designation, is a member of the Canadian Association of Gift Planners. She is also a chartered director, and she is a certified governance advisor and trainer with BoardSource, where she has the opportunity to blend corporate and family governance in her work with foundations and nonprofit boards. Sherilyn, we met at a conference in 2022 where you were a keynote speaker. You are one of the most sincere, gracious, and inspiring speakers I've had the pleasure of listening to. You've been a lifelong philanthropist yourself, I think following in your parents' footsteps, as your family was, as I recall, very involved in philanthropy in the Caribbean. And I'd like you to just share a little bit about your early experiences in philanthropy and how that's influenced your work and your volunteer roles, as well as your research. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, and thank you for, for having me. Um, you know, my experience is not unlike the experience of many who find themselves as givers uh, in, in philanthropy and the charitable space. Um, I speak with uh, and have spoken with philanthropists uh, so many over the years. What, what drives you? What motivates you uh, to get involved, to participate, to be generous? And most often it starts, you know, from... Uh, their parents, grandparents, other special people in their lives that planted a seed in them, um, even in the absence of wealth, right? That whatever, whatever they had, uh, they gave generously, they shared, they volunteered, they were, they were active. Um, and that is part of my story as well. Uh, my parents uh, for 40 years lived lives of service. Uh, in, in the helping, uh, helping space and um, including uh, my formative years in the Caribbean. And, uh, and that's why that part of the world holds a, a special place in, in my heart. 
um, but their example of, of service and, um, and caring for others, participating, uh, being attentive to you know, what I can do, where I can help, um, and to live a life, a life of, of service that's certainly been um, instrumental to me. I started my career as a fundraiser, uh, working for some fantastic organizations uh, that continue to make an impact here in Canada and in other parts of the world, uh, and then started my consulting business in philanthropy uh, about 10 years ago. And, um, and in that capacity, get to work with generous people all the time, uh, which is a, a privilege and an honor and a great deal of fun. Well, the families you work with are very privileged to have you. I, I'm confident in saying that they really learn a lot from you and their, their philanthropy flourishes as a result of having you as part of their, their advisor team. Uh, so I want to dig into this um, whole area that you've done a lot of research on in with regard to family philanthropy governance. So there can't be anyone else who has a PhD in education based on research on family philanthropy governance. And I understand that you you won an award for your research in this area and that you, as a result of your research, produced a model that helps families approach their giving in a meaningful way that works. And we'll dig into that a little bit. But first, I think it would be helpful if we start with the word governance and what that means, because it's used a lot, it's thrown out there, can be confusing and misunderstood. So how do you define that, that term and how is it relevant to the families who are looking at uh, giving and being generous with their philanthropy? Yeah, I think that is such a great place to start um, because sometimes the word can be a barrier. Um, you know, in its most simple form, governance is how groups of people uh, organize themselves to make decisions. So in the case of uh, giving families, it's you know, how do we do this? Right? How do we how do we figure this out so that it can be uh, a great experience? Um, uh, I think that uh, uh, in my experience, a lack of clarity is one of the biggest uh, barriers and it leads to uh, confusion and can lead to, to conflict. Mm -hmm. um, for families who may give through an incorporated entity such as a private foundation, and then often it's a blend between the, the corporate governance, those are the, those are the things they have to do as an incorporated uh, entity, and the family governance. Those are the, the relational considerations uh, that when you, you build in and have in place, they help ensure that the family is able to work together in a productive and enjoyable uh, manner. In the case of donor advised funds, for example, which are incredibly uh, popular for, for many families as a giving vehicle, uh, there is also a need for governance because you need to be able to come together and make uh, decisions uh, together. So governance, I think, is uh, incredibly uh, important. Again, just thinking is how, how we do this, how we come together uh, to make decisions and really make this make this sing. So it's interesting you talk about conflict and you know, I think about that outside of the philanthropic sector, but for some reason I think it's going to be all you know, smiles and happy around philanthropy. So what kinds of things do you see that can cause conflict when families are starting to get into this, these types of conversations about giving? Yeah, 
I, I have found in my work with families that philanthropy uh, does tend to be a space where there's less conflict, perhaps, than in other areas of, of the family life. It's a, uh, and I think that's one of the beauties, beautiful things about families coming together and, and wanting to give together. It can be a safer space. Um, it can be where uh, it can be easier for people to get consensus and to find some common ground. And there is some research that suggests uh, that when that happens in the philanthropic space, that there's a spillover uh, benefit to other parts of, of the family life. Um, but common, common challenges that uh, I've observed, there's kind of a, a continuum ranging from uh, great uncertainty that leads to paralysis <laughs> all, the way, all the way to the other end of that continuum, which, which would be high conflict. Right, and so typically, uh, when I see that, I observe there's a lack of a plan. Uh, they just they haven't figured out a plan. They haven't explored components to a plan. Uh, that roles and responsibilities are not clear. So people don't really know, you know, why am I here? What's my function? What do I have to do? What are the expectations? Um, and I think broadly, you know, it feels bad when you feel like you're not meeting someone's expectations, but if you don't know what they are to begin with, right, that can be uh, a bit frustrating. Um, and then either too little governance or too much governance uh, relative to, to, the, to the family. So these are all areas uh, typically where an advisor can be very helpful to a family to help them craft an approach that is is right-sized and customized to them. There's no one size fits all. There's no one right way uh, of doing things. Uh, there are components that, that we know are important and useful, um, but then we have to craft that to really um, suit the family. Love it. Thank you. Uh, well, let's get a little bit more into this research that you've done, because I think this will be very beneficial for our listeners and for myself. Um, what key things did you learn in your research that you can share with us that might help or inspire families? On oh, I learned so many things. <laughs> it was hard. It was hard to write it up with only 200 pages, um, but I'll be brief today. Um, so you know, one of the things that I think can really help families, and I, and I focus on this uh, when I start working with a family, uh, is you are special. Uh, you are unique. Every family uh, is, is um, distinct, uh, and families come together in so many different uh, ways. They have unique history. They have um, norms and behavior that shape how they uh, relate to each other. Uh, families vary in size, in their generational ages and stages, um, as well as in their goals and objectives for giving. So in my research, I, I call these differentiators. Uh, these are factors that uh, inform the choices that families can make uh, about how they approach their, their giving uh, overall. And again, it's really helpful for families to understand there's no one right way to approach their giving together. There's only ways that can best help them flourish um, and in the impact that they want to make in the community. Uh, so that's something that's helpful. Um, 
There's also things that I find very inspiring uh, that came out of my research. Uh, and the biggest thing there is that generous families tend to really care about each other, <laughs> right? They, they feel um, some connection, uh, some, some shared uh, sense of history, identity. Uh, typically there are values. We each have our own values that drive our action, but in my work, with families, often there, there are some profound shared values. What, what are the things that as members of this family uh, we share and that we can stand on uh, together going forward? Uh, and then certainly that they care about the difference that they can make in the lives of others. Uh, and that is um, such fruitful soil, right? To, to grow your approach to giving into philanthropy. With that caring also comes a sense of accountability. And that was also a big theme that came out of my research uh, about you know, how families uh, organize themselves uh, for their giving, a sense of accountability uh, within themselves, being accountable to themselves for, for being, being whole, showing up with their full selves to the, to the process, uh, uh, honoring their good intent, uh, accountability to each other in the family, um, you know, participating, being active, following through on, on commitments, and then accountability to the larger community. Uh, and that's a, a very big conversation in the philanthropy world these days is uh, how are philanthropists showing up as donors to the charitable partners and organizations in the community. So um, uh, I think that, uh, that that sense of care and accountability really helped to contribute to uh, a productive, uh, productive process. Sounds like a really, really great process. Can you give us maybe an example of um, maybe something that you came up with in your research of a specific family example or something you commonly see in the work that you do? A great example that I can share with you is a beautiful family that were really determined to uh, use philanthropy as a way to, to strengthen uh, their family and to express uh, the, the relationships that they have uh, with each other. Uh, and in the crafting of their, their mission statement, their philanthropic uh, mission statement, uh, it's what I called in my research a, a dual mission. It reflected what they wanted the giving to accomplish for their family, but also what they wanted they're giving to accomplish in the community. Uh, and it goes something like this. We strive to support each other's efforts to grow both as a family and as individuals and to show kindness and respect to each other in our everyday lives. In this context, we support endeavors that X, Y, Z, right? Um, and, you know, I just thought that was so profound. It was a family that was so clear uh, about their sense of, uh, of accountability to each other, right? Their sense of, of personal accountability, how I'm gonna show up to this experience of being generous as a family. Uh, and I just, uh, I just thought it was, it was so wonderful. And the, the parents um, were, were very intentional in how they crafted uh, their approach to philanthropy, how they, how they uh, structured their governance, 
Um, interestingly, it's a family that uses a donor advised fund uh, for, for their giving so that they didn't have to worry about the, the corporate governance aspects, but they had a very defined process within their, within their family and they're not a big family. Um, but, you know, they, they crafted their governance in response to what they wanted the giving to make possible in the lives of their children uh, and in the family. And I think that's such a great example. That is, I really thank you for sharing that example. Um, how, how can families get started or get organized on their governance? What do they need to think about or put in place to, to start crafting their own mission and statement and accountabilities and that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, it is fun. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, it is fun. And, and I often uh, encourage families to think, think of it as a journey, right? It's not a destination. No one, uh, even on corporate boards, you never get the governance. It's never done. It's kind of a living, breathing, uh, organic, the process that you have to attend to, you have to keep on it, you have to evolve and change and families are always evolving and changing uh, over time. And so uh, there are four areas that uh, I encourage families to, to look at. Uh, they can do this independently, they can uh, get the support of an, an, an advisor, um, but the, they're all grounded in conversation, in exploration, um, it's never the case where someone can just write up your governance plan and give it to you and say, here, do this, <laughs> right? The, the best approaches to governance really emerge out of the family, from the family, reflect the family. So the first, the first one, which is the most important because it, it drives everything else and from, from structure to approach and, and strategy is to clarify purposes. You know, why, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to give? Why do you want to give together? in some way, what do you want the giving to make possible uh, as individual family members, but for the family as well? And then of course, what do you want the giving to make possible in the community uh, and, and mapping, mapping that out in a, in a meaningful way? Um, so as in the case, the example that I just shared with you, if the development of younger family members is a key objective, then your approach to governance, and remember how you organize, um, needs to include the younger members of the family. You need to provide on-ramps for them to participate. They, they need to have a, a meaningful role, some opportunities to be responsible um, and, and to lead, right? So your, your purposes really drive uh, governance in a, in a really fundamental way and bring clarity. The second area families uh, should focus on is uh, the relationships and the roles and responsibilities within, within those relationships. Um, it can begin by looking at who's eligible to participate and who wants to participate. Um, again, involvement in giving should be voluntary uh, as opposed to mandated. Um, in large, complex families, the eligibility may require more uh, thoughtfulness to ensure that there are meaningful opportunities for all those who are interested. Um, so if you have a foundation, for example, with a board, it may not be realistic for everyone to be a director, right? Um, and so, um, uh, but there might be other ways that family members can participate. So, uh, so commonly families will introduce some criteria for participation, some terms of service. So it's not a lifetime appointment where no one else ever gets a chance. 
um, the use of committees or, or other working groups um, that help to involve and keep the door open, uh, plan for the, the next, um, next groups of family members to be able to participate. Then, of course, you know, once you've identified that, you have to think, okay, so what are they going to do, <laughs> right? What are the roles? What are the responsibilities and the expectations? Um, you know, what am I going to do? How often? How much time is that going to take? Uh, for families where there's busy professionals, uh, they may have young families, time can be a thing, right? And so being very clear uh, about what's involved uh, is um, incredibly important. Uh, charitable structure uh, used for giving is gonna have some implications for roles and responsibilities. Uh, again, if it's a, a foundation, uh, there are legal and fiduciary responsibilities, uh, things that have to be done. Uh, so those who are participating should know what those things are um, to protect the foundation, to protect the family. Uh, but even giving through a donor advised fund, um, there, there are still processes that uh, should be clear to all those who are uh, participating. So getting clear about these matters uh, goes a long way to ensure um, a, a smooth experience and a meaningful uh, experience. Um, for some families, there's also some external relationships that can support their giving, whether that's a, a non-family member on a foundation board, uh, it could be other content experts uh, in the areas where they want to give. Uh, so really understanding that network of relationships. Um, my research called these the enablers, the, the things that help um, families uh, bring, their, bring their philanthropy to, to life. The third area is to then kind of draw it together, map and document a plan. There is something very powerful in writing things down um, and it helps to augment poor memories. <laughs> so, you know, you can get around the table. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. We all agree. And by the next meeting, you even forget what you talked about, <laughs> right? So, so mapping it out on, on paper, uh, some of the logistical uh, aspects. So exploring questions like, how often are we gonna meet uh, and in what ways? Where are we gonna meet? Um, how will we make decisions? How will we find giving opportunities? Uh, what's the process that we use when we have these giving opportunities and we have to sort through them and make some decisions? Some families only meet once a year. Some families meet much more often. Some families use a majority votes uh, decision-making process, but consensus decision-making sets a, a more robust uh, standard and research suggests that that makes uh, for a healthier outcome from, from the family. You want to be candid. Do the founders of this thing, do they have any special discretion, right? Um, uh, to be candid around that, around the table can prevent a lot of, of frustration. Some families allocate funds across uh, family members to disperse. Other families keep those disbursements small and then the bulk of the funding, they make decisions jointly. Uh, again, there's no one right way, but making sure that there's clarity and consensus on that clarity uh, goes a long way so that people feel that they're integral to the process, that they have a voice uh, and that they can participate in a meaningful way. The last area uh, is to just get going, do it, <laughs> implement, um, and then tweak, tweak and evolve as you go because philanthropy is a journey. You learn, you learn as you go. 
Um, and again, the family is always evolving and, and changing. Um, I usually suggest you check in every two to three years, uh, have a look at your governance, your, your structure, your process. Um, uh, certainly in, in larger uh, context, you also need some policies in place, written, uh, you know, all these decisions that you're making about how things are going to be, uh, writing them, writing them down uh, in, in a policy or a um, uh, or a, a manual, um, so that there's so that there's clarity uh, both for those around the table and those other family members who may be may be coming on. Um, and then just to reiterate, it's a it's a journey, um, and so much good comes from these conversations around governance uh, because family members they learn more about each other, they understand each other better. Um, and one of the other findings in my research was around social capital in families uh, is a muscle. And philanthropy gives families the opportunity to exercise those muscles um, and enhances the degree of social capital they have with each other uh, that only brings good things uh, for them in the context of their family uh, and the other uh, elements of their, of their family life. Sherilyn, that was amazing. I just want to wrap up with a, a couple of takeaways. Uh, the first one is that there's no one right way to approach governance for family philanthropy, but you need to have fun. <laughs> so talk, explore, enjoy the process. And, um, you know, maybe you need a guide or advisor to help your family out. And, and those people are out there for sure to, to help you. But ultimately, every family's giving journey comes out of the family. I love this from the family and reflects the family. So the key is to get going and get started. So Sherlyn, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and more on Tamarind Learning Podcast. I'm confident that our listeners will find your comments helpful and inspirational as they embark on or continue on their philanthropic journey. Thanks so much for having me.